Thank you, Danielle and company. Danielle, hardest working woman in show business? She's everybody. Central, yeah. Raptors broadcast, yeah. hosting FIBAs. Correct. The first lady of Sportsnet Digital. Yes. Does it all. And Natalie Achanwa, who's, who's coming for all of our jobs, evidently. Yeah, hosting uh, for the 2023 FIBA World Cup. We already established that. We're looking far ahead here. Getting out early, yes. are we? Um, well, we enjoyed the coverage. Thank you so much. I am Donovan Bennett. We're back, Here though. with you in studio. Yeah. We are back, if, if, if you're just rejoining us, with the homie Jesse Rubinoff. Uh, Tim is enjoying some vacation. Maybe he's in the Bahamas? Doubtful. You don't think so? No, doubtful. Doing some advanced scouting. Nah, doubtful. No, he, he really likes basketball, so I see where you're coming from. Doubtful. Okay, maybe yeah, not. No. Uh, well, get comfortable. <laughs> We've had a comfortable win over the Bahamas. We're going to have all that for you more uh, later in the program. Qualifying for the FIBA World Cup ramps up again for Canada in February. Also a nice time to go to the Bahamas. Yeah. Uh, but if you don't, uh, we're going to have that action for you on Sportsnet. And we've got a lot of action coming up for you in the next hour or so. Eric Engels will drop by to discuss Mark Bergevin being fired. As Jeff Molson met with the media in Montreal today, Rich Gannon, he's going to join us to break down what was another crazy week in the NFL, Week 12. In June Lee, on a wild couple of days in baseball, maybe wild night tonight, we'll see. Uh, and speaking of, let's, let's get right to it with a, a quick fire edition of First Things First. Let's go. First Things First. First. All right, you mentioned it, Deej. Uh, a busy few days in Major League Baseball free agency as teams and agents scramble to get deals done before the impending lockout, which will begin at midnight on Wednesday. The bad news for Blue Jays fans is that both Robbie Ray and Marcus Simeon are leaving the team, but the Jays did sign one of the other marquee starting pitchers on the market, reportedly agreeing to a five-year deal with Kevin Gossman for $110 million. Ray reportedly agreeing to a five-year deal with the Seattle Mariners for $115 million, just $5 million more than the Jays are giving Gossman. Both pitchers are 30 years old. Ray, of course, coming off a Cy Young season, going 13-7 with a 2.84 ERA, while Gossman is also coming off the best season of his career, going 14-6 with a 2.81 ERA for the Giants and finishing sixth in NL Cy Young voting. So, Deej, the question is, how do you feel about replacing Ray with Gosman? I don't want to say I love it, because mm. I did enjoy tight pants Robbie Ray. Yeah, I was excited that. every that. time he was on the bump. But it's, it's good business. No, listen, I thought he was going to get more, to be honest. And maybe he set the market a little bit for Ray, who went for five mil more. He's essentially a right-handed version of Ray. And, he, and I would argue he's really been more consistent over the last couple of years. So you're baking that in when you're looking at future you know, productivity. So in concert with the rotation that they already have, and in concert with the other work that they've done, you know, they bring in uh, Garcia to fortify that bullpen. I, I, I like it. I, I think you have another front-of-the-line starter and someone, and this is important, Blue Jays fans, who reportedly took less money mm. to stay in Toronto. We've seen crazy money spent. Uh, well, he took less to stay in Toronto. And then now look at that rotation. And more importantly, look at how long you have those guys for. Brios signed through 2028. 
you know, Kevin signed through 2026. Ryu signed through 2023. Manoa controlled until 2027. And then, you know, you slide in a, a Nate Pearson, I think, at the back end of that. Hopefully, control through 2027. You've got a nice rotation, solid for the foreseeable future. And let's remember, this is a club that won more games than the team that won the World Series. So they're there. They're close. And now you've got that consistency in what I think is the most important thing in the sport, starting pitching. I, I think you have to love it, no? Yeah. I mean, the reality is you're not going to sign every free agent. Like, <laughs> sometimes free agents are going to leave. Well, I mean, maybe if you're the Texas Rangers. You might. <laughs> yeah, they're cleaning up today. Uh, but they're not going to sign everyone. And the fact that Robbie Ray is gone, it just makes it that much more important that they were able to sign Kevin Gossman. A lot of fans, I know, are a little bit concerned because they watched him pitch a lot when he was a member of the Baltimore Orioles. And it didn't go as well as it has gone for him in the last couple of years with the San Francisco Giants. But the fact is... He's a different pitcher now with the then with the San Francisco Giants than he was with the Baltimore Orioles. He has a different arsenal. He relies a lot more on his splitter, and that leads to more consistency. Its splitter was considered maybe the second best pitch in all of baseball if you look at the statistics. And if you look at the stats again, almost every single one of his stats was better than Robbie Ray last year. So yes, he is coming into more of a uh, homer-friendly park at the Rogers Center. But you got to like this signing if you're the Blue Jays, and it just shows you that the front office is prepared to spend. They're going to be close to the top 10, and they're creeping towards the top 5 in payroll in the entire league. So it shows you the front office is ready to spend without a doubt. Yeah, that's just, you know, when you look at the names, three of those names are the last two years. Yeah. And theoretically, we'll see what happens with the rest of the infield. If there is money to maybe get another starter or spread it around uh, with some pitching help. But there's clearly investment there and going for it right now. I, I would actually be somewhat interested to see if the approach is, well, let's find the next Robbie Ray. Yeah. Let's find the next Simeon, right? You consider what they signed those guys for. And what they then signed for as they rehabbed their career on the open market in Toronto last year on a winning team. Um, Blue Jays fans, remember, like, Pete Walker's got a track record of getting good production from his pitchers. So, you're good. Yeah. So, Deej, I just find it funny that Tim and I sat here and I would always ask him, mm -hmm. I would always ask him, who do you think the Jays should sign? Robbie okay. Ray or Marcus Simeon? And lo and behold... <laughs> They get neither, which is fine because they went and they got Kevin Gossman, and they're probably going to factor into the free agent market uh, still. But Simeon signs a massive deal Whew. with the Rangers, and then the Rangers go out and spend even more money on Corey Seager. So combined for the middle of the infield, it looks like Simeon's now going to be playing second base with the Texas Rangers because Seager's a shortstop. Right. Half a billion dollars on these two guys. Half a billion dollars. Half a billion. So um, what are your thoughts about uh, Simeon leaving? Obviously, he did a lot of great things for the Blue Jays clubhouse. And can you believe that the Texas Rangers baseball is nuts right now? Half a billion dollars for two positions, Deed. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, Simeon sets the single-season record for home runs by second baseman because he's really not, right? He's really a shortstop. Oh, guess what? He might break that record because he's going to be playing second base again. And the fact that they spent so much on the middle infield, and they spent so much with Simeon specifically, who, yes, he was an MVP finalist, but he's also 31, right? So how is this deal going to play out at the back end of it? I find it fascinating. I find that now entire division fascinating in terms of the NL West, the amount of money, uh, or, sorry, AL West, and the amount of money being spent in division. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm happy for him. He's a grinder, so certainly he deserves that money. And if you will, he bet on himself a little bit last year, and it, he cashed out, but... 
I was really sad to to see him go because I think he makes he certainly makes that offense better, but the clutch hits and the fact that he makes Vladdy better at first, he makes the rest of the infield better in terms of being so sure-handed in the double play. But that's crazy money. Like that, you, no one can be upset that they didn't reach that amount for a second baseman. Uh, yes, I agree, and I also want to point out uh, that the Mets who have been trying to sign every single person, every single free agent, they finally did get their man in Max Scherzer, who's making the most amount of money per year in the history of baseball. And he's 37 years old. So um, just a ridiculous sum of money, but it just shows you that Steve Cohen and the Mets, front office and ownership, are willing to to throw money at players, irrespective if they may be 37 years old. Does have an opt-out after the second season. it's crazy. In what world is he worth more money than not only Mike Trout, than some entire payrolls in the sport? They wanted to make a statement. That, that much is clear that the Mets just wanted to do something and get their, their team back in the headlines because it was a rough year uh, for you know, New York. Uh, June Lee will be coming up shortly to talk much more baseball. But we have to go to hockey because the Montreal Canadiens announced Sunday that Mark Bergevin had been fired as general manager and former Rangers GM Jeff Gordon had been hired as executive vice president of hockey operations. The team also plans to hire a general manager to work under Gordon. Owner Jeff Molson discussed the moves earlier today. My job is to make tough decisions like yesterday. And um, do I go to bed at night feeling good about making tough decisions? No, I don't. But I make them. And um, we're having a fresh start, and I'm looking forward to it. If Jeff Gordon and whoever the new GM is, if they decide that they look at things and the best course of action is a complete rebuild, do you, would you support that? And do you think the fan base would support maybe losing for a, two or three years or whatever that's been? Regardless of what decision uh, they want to bring to the table, I'll be supportive if it's the right thing for the Montreal Canadiens to be a great team in the long term. And, uh, and I'm, not, uh, I'm not afraid of that word. And I think our fans uh, wouldn't be afraid of that word either. Well, do you like the way the Habs handled this? No. no. Uh, and listen, uh, life is all about expectations and defining what success looks like. And listen, if they fired him because of uh, their draft pick and how they handled that, I would, I would get that. But you fire him four months after going to the Stanley Cup Finals when two pieces to you getting there weren't on the ice to start the year, nothing to do with him. Really, nine guys of that core on any given night are not on the ice, nothing to do with him. And you look at them, yeah, they're 6 15 and two worst start in franchise history. How many times did they take the ice and you thought they had more talent? Quite frankly, they're lucky they won six games. And so he has gone to a Stanley Cup Final, uh, Conference Final, and made the playoffs six out of nine seasons. You know how many other Canadian franchises would take that? All of them. <laughs> so I'm not really sure what the definition of success was for him. I love the flow. I love the suits. There's been some press conferences I didn't love. But I'm, but I'm not sure, based off of the track record, this move is making them better in the short or long term. I, I, I just don't see it. Yeah, it's, I feel like every, or not every, Habs fan, but a lot of Habs fans thought that uh, the run to the cup final papered over a lot of the deficiencies from the roster, which is fine. True. But to that, I say, you also made the cup final. It's not like you win three games and make the Stanley Cup final. Like, there obviously is something there. And to your point, they're playing without Shea Weber. They're playing without Carey Price. 
that is very difficult to overcome. So unfortunately, when you get off to the worst start in the 111-year <laughs> history of the franchise, these things are probably going to happen. So ultimately, Mark Bergevin uh, loses his job because of it. Uh, Eric Engels will be coming up just a little bit later to talk more about the Habs. But Kings forward Brendan Lemieux will have an in-person hearing with the NHL Department of Player Safety on Tuesday after Brady Kachuk accused Lemieux of biting him. Uh. During the Sens' loss to the Kings on Saturday, Lemieux was given a five-minute major and a game misconduct. So, Donovan, it's time to play Canada's favorite game show. How many games? Very proud of myself that I didn't step all over it this time. So, how many games for Brandon Lemieux? I have a feeling it's going to be a lot. It's the in-person hearing. Obviously, he can be suspended for more than six games because it is in-person. Yeah, so he's... He's been suspended twice before, mm-hmm. disciplined twice before. Mm-hmm. I, I was going to say three. So we have a precedent of, you know, biting being, you know, one game or two games in the past. Given the amount of talk about this, I thought it was going to go up a little bit. But Brad Marshan, I understand, has been disciplined many more times. He just got three for a slew foot. Yeah. So uh, the rent is too damn high on... <laughs> on penalties right now in terms of discipline coming from the league office. So it has to be more than three. Does it not? Yeah, the Marshan uh, suspension is the longest suspension in the NHL this season. DJ, I would give Brendan Lemieux 10 games, 15 games. Biting has no place in hockey. Like, you, you wouldn't bite someone in any walk of life. So why is biting, should it, why should it only be a three-game suspension or a five-game suspension? Throw the book at the dude. He bit someone. Like, you have to get, that's not part of hockey. Get it out of the game. Suspend it for 10 games, 15 games, 20 games. I don't care. Whatever it is. He has a history of, of doing dirty things like this on the ice. Get rid of it. You don't want that. I'm going 10, 15 here. Wow. I don't think that's actually going to happen. I think it's going to be more like 7. But the, I would be fine with 15. The animation said how many games. Not how many games do you want? How yes. many games do you think it's going to be? I think it's going to be 7. Okay. I All think right. it's going to be 7. With half of what I would give him, basically. Fair. Yeah? Fair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, three, three, not enough. IMO. Agreed. <laughs> Listen, one block of Tim and Friends that after FIBA. Let's do it. It was fun. Also, not enough. So stay with us. Uh, time for a quick break right now. But when we come back, we'll be joined by ESPN's June Lee to talk baseball. The huge money deals are coming in fast and furious. Before the looming lockout, we'll discuss the deals that we've seen thus far between Ray and Simeon and Seeger and Scherzer and more. And maybe even talk some BTS? You heard correctly. Uh, welcome back to Tim and Friends. Stay with us. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to talk about it. I'm pumped. Are you? Really? No. <laughs> welcome back to Tim and Friends. A full hour coming up. That includes Rich Gannon and Eric Engels, but our Everything is happening in the world of baseball. Here to discuss the flurry of deals is ESPN's June Lee. June, thanks for joining us, but I, I really got to thank you for joining us because you're joining us from uh, you're from the tour bus right now of BTS, <laughs> where, where you are. Appreciate it. Uh, talk to me about the the two night set of BTS that has taken over your timeline, while MLB free agency has taken over everyone else's timeline. Yeah, so uh, BTS had two concerts in Los Angeles. They've got two more shows coming up this week. I've been a big BTS for a cat fan for a couple of year now, years now, especially as a Korean American. 
and uh, was at the concerts last night. I had tickets to their previous tour, which got canceled, obviously, because of the pandemic. And so this was the first opportunity to see them uh, since the pandemic. And it was the first concert performing these two different albums that they released in the course of the last couple of years. So got to go to SoFi Stadium, which is my first time seeing that stadium, which was really cool. I uh, got my little uh, BTS light stick here, which changed color throughout the course of the concert. It was a really kind of high stage production. Like you saw the band, obviously, but there was you know 50,000 people there over the course of two nights. A lot of people going there for multiple shows. Uh, and it was a, it was just a really awesome experience. It was, I think, the nicest most polite, friendliest crowd I've ever been to. And I actually got on uh, into the second night of shows because uh, someone from BTS Twitter reached out to me uh, a couple a couple of days ago and asked if I would join them in their suite. So I got to get a free concert and, mm -hmm. and enjoy a suite show out of it as well. So it was a pretty crazy experience over the course of the last couple of days. Look at the VIP yeah. treatment on That's this guy. Cool. Okay, he's how got the rider and everything. Yeah, how do we line you up today? Honestly. Woo! Appreciate it. Listen, so since you're literally, you know, backstage with the crew, uh, who's who's average per year in terms of earnings higher right now? BTS or Max Scherzer? Like, where, where are we netting out financially? Uh, I would say probably Max Scherzer. There's not that many people who are going to be making $58 million a year annually because you look at his contract with uh, with the Mets, he's obviously getting paid $43.3 million a year. Uh, but on top of that, he's got a lot of deferred money with the Washington Nationals uh, from 2022 to 2028. He's getting paid an additional $15 million a year on top of that uh in addition to his Mets salary. And so Scherzer is going to be bringing bank over the course of the next couple of years. He's obviously the highest paid player on an average annual salary basis uh, in Major League Baseball right now. Uh, and uh, from what I heard, he, the Mets were kind of the only team that were putting out a contract with that kind of AAV. Uh, so you kind of consider the situation that the Mets are in where they really want to make the playoffs. Steve Cohen really wants to impress the Mets fan base. Uh, he himself is a Mets fan. Uh, so going after a guy like Scherzer, who has the pedigree and the tracker that he does, um, is the reason why they, they obviously gave him uh, that, that enormous average annual uh, salary. But does it make sense? Like, if I look at what the Blue Jays have done, a season ago they signed Simeon Ray and Mats for $31 million, have a real good year. They go off and they sign for $334 million on the open market. Is, is there a pathway to winning, spending this wildly? In the case of Scherzer, he's, he alone is making more than some entire payrolls? Well, it's almost like he's uh, playing MLB The Show in franchise mode, Steve <laughs> Cohen, and is just throwing money at anyone possible. Um, it, it's almost like money is more of a hypothetical object than it is a real object and a real barrier towards building this team right now. You know, a, a concern that I would have given the signings of the course last couple of days uh, with the Mets with Eduardo Escobar and Mark Hanna and, uh, and uh, Starling Marte that they brought in is that this is a older group of guys. They're 32, 33-year-old in the case of Escobar, Canna, and Marte, and Scherzer's 37 years old. Um, they're obviously guys that have big track records, but what has made a lot of teams successful in the course of the last couple of years, including the Toronto Blue Jays, have been a great example of that uh, in 2021, is the power of scouting and the ability to sign guys who are undervalued on the free agent market versus just throwing money at your problems and seeing what happens. Uh, the Mets had a lot of problems with their depth over the course of the last couple of years. The signings of Canada, Starling Marte, and Eduardo Escobar tried to address that. Um, but we've seen a lot of championship teams win, not necessarily with money. The Atlanta Braves are a great example, but by having great scouting, finding really good value. And so whether or not this works out for the Mets, it'll, we'll wait and see because these are a bunch of older guys and um, injuries is a big factor, despite the fact that 
you got a lot of really big names coming to to play at City Field next year. You mentioned the Blue Jays and scouting, and Kevin Gosman is someone this front office has scouted and courted for a long time. They finally get their man. For Blue Jays fans who haven't seen him work in the NL over the last little bit, what does he bring to the table as he seems to be the closest like-for-like replacement uh, for Robbie Gray, who they lost? Yeah, he's been a massively improved pitcher over the course of the last couple of seasons. He really added this nasty splitter, which got among the highest swing and uh, miss rates in, in all of baseball over the course of the last couple of years. You know, before he got to San Francisco, he had a great 2021, a great 2020, uh, 2020 with, with San Francisco. But before that, he was kind of a back-end starter, a former top prospect with the Baltimore Orioles, who didn't necessarily live up to that top prospect pedigree. He came up in that class with guys like Dylan Bundy and Matt Wieters that were supposed to be the next generation of oral superstars that didn't really work out. Gosman goes over to San Francisco, figures out a couple things. Uh, the Farhan's IED front office and, and that baseball operations group helped him discover a couple other things about his repertoire and how to attack uh, attack batters. Uh, and he's developed over the course of the last couple of years in the last basically two seasons, a year and a half, give and take, given what happened in the 2020 COVID shortened season uh, into a a really top-line pitcher. Now, whether or not we're going to see that level of top-line pitching, of course, we haven't seen that over the course of his entire career, uh, is, is kind of a question mark. But obviously, Toronto believes enough uh, in Gossman's stuff and his improvement over the last couple of years to to make a, a massive financial commitment to him. And so um, he's going to be kind of that guy that they expect to go after and uh, go, go out and, and replace Robbie Ray, given that Robbie Ray is heading to the Seattle Mariners now. So the Jays are reportedly one of the teams in on Yusei Kikuchi, and so there could be some additions in terms of uh, that staff. What is the next big need, do you think, for the Jays to address in free agency? I think it's just building the overall depth of that team. I think one area that you saw happen last year was when George Springer went down at the beginning of the year. Um, there was uh, some trouble kind of filling in the production gaps there. There was obviously the lack of consistency from the bullpen for Toronto as well until kind of the back half of the season when you added guys like Alec Minowin and just, just generally got more consistent production out of the, the Blue Jays' bullpen. But I think this is kind of the next step for this Blue Jays team where you look at what the where the White Sox were a couple years ago when they had a lot of really, really interesting and promising young talent. The Blue Jays are in a kind of similar position. I think uh, what Mark Shapiro and, and that front office are going to have to do is build out the depth of that team because ultimately – when you look at a team like the Atlanta Braves this year, depth is what wins in baseball. You can have a great regular season, but you know injuries pile up. It's 162 games. It's a really, really long year, and it's really necessary to have guys to fill in when guys are going up and down. And so, you know, as great as a talent core as you have in Toronto with a guy like Vladdy Jr. and Bo Bichette, uh, you're going to need talent up and down that roster to kind of take it to the next level. And that's kind of the differentiator between uh, why Toronto got really close to making the playoffs this year, but but didn't get there all the way. So Simeon leaves, which a lot of people obviously hate to see him go. And on Twitter, Jay's fans are like, well, that's fine. We'll just sign Seager. We don't care that we got dumped. And obviously now Seager's his teammate. But in terms of the middle of that infield, who is still available in terms of top-line guys, whether it's a Correa or a Baez? Do you see them in that market, or will they move their existing pieces around to solidify the middle of the infield? I think it's more likely that Toronto tries to find a kind of more patchwork solution. Obviously, Simeon was the guy coming in last year who Toronto didn't necessarily expect to produce the level that he did, the MVP level. He obviously got rewarded with enormous contract. I don't see Correa and Javier Baez being massive targets for uh, this Toronto team. There's been a lot of interest for, for Baez in different markets, and 
I don't, I don't think Correa is going to be signing, according to my sources, until after the lockout ends. Uh, and we see how this entire free agent market pans out and how the kind of next salary structure of the sport happens in the next collective bargaining agreement. So um, I, I think it's going to be one of those situations where Toronto is going to have to lean on their scouting and their baseball operations department to find kind of fill in the gaps. Uh, maybe not just necessarily at one position, but kind of across the board as, as the best way to replace the obviously incredible production that Marcus Simeon had over the course of last year. So given that, do you see potentially Jose Ramirez as a trade option at third base, or do you think that's a position that, you know, Kevin Biggio or a patchwork solution could find and shore up at the corner infield spot? Sure. I mean, I don't have any specific knowledge on the relationship between uh, Jose Ramirez and the Blue Jays in terms of the interest there. Um, but Ramirez is a guy that I think is going to be a, a big target on the trade market, just given how productive he's been over the course of the last few years and as one of the best third basemen in this in the game um you know it's obviously going to take a lot for toronto to get a guy like jose ramirez um you know if i were to be the person building the blue jays um i think the thing that got toronto to this point is that they have so much depth across a lot of different positions in the farm system and up and down and getting rid of that depth to get rid of ramirez is kind of a risky proposition for the long-term kind of future for the blue jays um especially just kind of considering that you know anything can happen as, as great as this current talent core looks for toronto um things can change really really quickly and so i think it's probably a more pragmatic solution to try to fill in that the production gaps left behind by Simeon uh across a bunch of different positions I know, I know Calvin Biggio hasn't necessarily kind of lived up to the same level of Bo Bichette and Vlad Jr., which is kind of unfair to him because he wasn't necessarily hyped as that time the type top prospect guy, and he's been kind of lumped in together with, with Bichette and Guerrero because they have famous fathers. But um, I think the most pragmatic solution for the Blue Jays is probably going to be kind of splitting across that, that production across a, different, a bunch of different positions. Okay, quickly before we let you go, rumored CBA proposal, expanded playoffs, 14 teams, seven a league, four wild cards. You in or you out? You buying it? Uh, I would love an expanded wild card. It would also be fun for the lottery. I mean, any kind of way for Major League Baseball to get rid of the tanking system. I mean, we've seen it with the Texas Rangers of the course last couple of years where basically in the last couple of days, they spent more money than they have just as, a, as an entire team um on the entire roster up and down and so anything that discourages tanking especially given the way the trends of the front office have moved over the course of the last couple of years i think is a positive thing for the sport um but i'm also definitely not an expanded playoffs too i think uh just encouraging more teams to compete for a playoff spot and having kind of more more rights uh to to be able to to watch baseball postseason baseball high leverage postseason baseball is a good thing for the sport but uh that, that's just my personal opinion well listen i appreciate you personally because i know you know, sunglasses and Advil, last two nights for you were mad real. So appreciate you making the time to humor us with your baseball knowledge. Now, go recover from BTS. Thanks so much, Donovan. I appreciate it, man. That is June Lee so joining good. us uh, from the tour bus of BTS. Yeah, it looked like he had a great time. Uh, his social media says he had a, a great time. I can't imagine the things he didn't post because uh, it <laughs> looked so fun. Uh, you've got some fun uh, interaction online. Yeah, yeah. So we asked people uh, after the Robbie Ray signing, which came, which came just a couple hours ago, mm -hmm. uh, we asked how they're feeling about the Robbie Ray signing. So let's get to some responses, shall we? Uh, Joel says Robbie was great last year, but the wheels were falling off at the end. Ooh. We got a four-pitch pitcher replacing a two-pitch pitcher oh. with comparable stats 
and salary, which okay. I found pretty interesting okay. because you know, the wheels were falling off. Eh, I, I, eh, a bit of a stretch. Is maybe. that the thing where you someone breaks up with you and you're like, well, I was going to break up yeah, with you anyway? I mean, there's a lot of that happening on James My parents Day, right? didn't like you anyway. Yeah, so. Like, nah, nah, go wear your tight pants somewhere else, Robbie Ray. It's like <laughs> that happened real quick here. Uh, Gary says, good for him. He put in the work, improved as a pitcher, won the Cy Young, and is taking advantage of said improvement and award win. Who among us wouldn't switch employers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, we wouldn't. Listen, I, we're loyal. I, I think the, the Blue Jays front. We would uh, <laughs> not. I mean, uh, listen. I think the Blue Jays front office has told us repeatedly that you know the phone is calling. One of the reasons the phone calls is when you do right by players, mm. allow them to make huge money. So yes, it's a loss, but I think in the aggregate, it's a positive story that both Simeon and Ray, you know, did well in their time in Toronto. I agree. I think that's a great point that you're making now and that June brought up. This neither marriage with Ray and Simeon was really expected to be a long-term thing. If it was going to be a long-term thing, that would have been a bonus. But Simeon, I think everybody expected him to leave because this was an audition, basically, for a much bigger deal. He's on the executive board of the Major League Baseball Players Association. you got to set the bar high when you're signing your new contract. So he was going to go where the money was, and that's just the reality of baseball these days. Fueled One says... Thought for sure we would keep one of either Ray or Simeon. This hurts. Wanted Ray to stick around. You're not alone in that one. Declan says, hate to see Ray go, but at least we got Gossman. I think it'll turn out just okay. Got to get a replacement for Simeon now. I mean, this is ultimately the big decision. There's a couple. You got to figure out, I think, solidify the end of the rotation there. Who knows really what Pearson's going to be next year. But now you really got to find a way to plug in somebody and replicate or at least try to, the stats of a third uh, third most votes in American League MVP voting. So that's yeah. basically what it is. That's what you lost I don't today. know if you do have to get a replacement. I mean, one offense of the, is good enough. But. Well, but one of the concerns with signing him to that term is that he's a bit of a progress stopper. And you've got some infield capital coming through the system. Mm-hmm. So you know, maybe you bet on that. It will be fascinating to see Arden, Shy, and Ben report on it throughout the offseason. I just find it funny how... Fans, I mean, it's, it's, it's part of being fandom. You want your team to, to spend a lot of money. But the reality of the, the Toronto Blue Jays here is that they just signed the two richest pitching contracts in franchise history. Ever. In Ever. franchise history. Yes. Jose Barrios and then Gosman. And last year, last offseason, if I do remember correctly, yes. George Springer was the richest deal in franchise history, richest free agent deal in Blue Jays history. So at some point, there's got to be a ceiling as to how many richest contracts you can send, you could spend as an as an organization. Like you can't just continually up the ante. I guess you could if you want to be the Rangers or the Mets or the Yankees. But at some point, reality has to come into play here, doesn't it? You can't just keep signing guys for hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Blue Jays fans have the Janet Jackson rule. What have you done for me lately? <laughs> Very good. That's very good. Uh, Even though, uh, to your point, they have done a lot lately. Uh, I'm singing, so they want (laughs) me to stop. So we're going to go take a break. break. (laughs) Uh, Still to come, Eric Engels from Montreal. The Habs make big changes at the top. Plus, we'll talk CFL playoffs and Vanier Cup later. And up next, Rich Gannon pops by for his Monday visit as we break down week 12 in the NFL. The Patriots keep rolling once again. This is Tim and Friends. What have you done for me lately? They were running in a big hole. Who needs a field goal? Fernet goes for the end zone and he's in! 
Oh, he lost a tooth. And he's smiling. <laughs> That's oh. my best part. It was a born ultimatum. Does he go down or does he stay up for the score? The Patriot train keeps rolling. Herbert. And the Rams, this all-star lineup, they are really floundering right now. Jackson trying to keep it alive. Put it up for grabs. And it's a touchdown! Andrews! Wow! But at the end of it, his arch nemesis, Miles Garrett, comes over and shakes his hand. What a week. Uh, another week of drama in the NFL and plenty to talk about as usual with our Monday afternoon quarterback Rich Gannon. Rich, thanks for joining us as usual once again. And it, last week I started with all the negatives. So let's switch it up. Let's start with the positive because there has been some good football played. Uh, stop me if you heard this before. The New England Patriots are playing championship football as it starts to get cold. And that defense is playing really well. Last four games, shutouts in the second half, six straight wins. Are, are the Patriots the most complete team that we've seen thus far? Donovan, I think you're right. And, and they're doing it with a rookie quarterback, as you mentioned, six straight wins. They're, they're, they're averaging 35 points a game on offense. And on defense, they're giving up just 10 points a game. So they're the best in terms of scoring differential. They're taking the ball away. Uh, the quarterback is, you know, he, he doesn't look, he doesn't act, and he doesn't play like a rookie. I mean, he's completing almost 70% of his passes. He's thrown nine touchdowns and just two picks uh, and the six wins. And they're rolling right now. I mean, defensively, they're getting after the quarterback. They're getting hands-on footballs. Uh, and, and I just think you look at how well they're coached. I think Josh McDaniels has really done an outstanding job with this young quarterback. I've been so impressed with him. And I just think right now, if you look at the most complete, most consistent team in the AFC right now, ironically, it's the New England Patriots. Well, it wasn't a game of quarterback beauty last night, unfortunately. They're not going to send that tape to Canton anytime soon. Lamar Jackson, four INTs, but somehow gets the win and makes a play that literally everyone coaches you not to do. Losing ground, throws it up in the middle of the field, contested ball, but it's a touchdown. Are, are the Ravens just finding ways to win? Or are there some cracks in their arsenal that you're concerned about? I don't think there's any question of some cracks. I mean, four interceptions from Lamar Jackson, including three in the second quarter. I mean, NFL teams have lost 54 straight games when the quarterback has thrown four interceptions. I think that tells you something. But this is a resilient group. I think they played really well defensively. I think both teams played well defensively. Both quarterbacks had their issues. And I'm concerned with Lamar Jackson now. You know, Miami, I think, opened up a can of worms. They really came after him. They pressured him. They got the linebackers and safeties up in those A and B gaps. And that's what, what, what Cleveland did again last night. And they don't have answers for the pressure. I think what teams are trying to do right now, Donovan, is they're not rushing three and four. And they're giving them too many gaps to run in. They're, they're crowding the line of scrimmage. They're forcing him to sit in there as a pocket passer and throw the ball effectively down the field. And he has struggled doing so the last two weeks. The other quarterback has struggled as well. Baker Mayfield struggled. He's a mass unit. Matt Stafford has struggled. and He's got accumulating injuries throughout the year. When you look at those quarterbacks, but also the head coaches who really were put in position to get the most out of those quarterbacks and those offenses, what situation, Cleveland or uh, the L.A. Rams, are you most concerned about? Well, I think that the Browns are struggling right now because they're not running the ball well, and that's really who they are. The Rams, on the other hand, they've lost three straight. 
this is one of the better scoring offenses. Those three losses, they're averaging 18 points a game. Uh, they've turned the ball over uh, seven times in those games, and the quarterback is struggling. Three pick sixes. Uh, and, and I just, you know, you look at the fact that this offensive line hasn't played well. He's been sacked nine times. He needs a clean pocket. He, he's not Philip Rivers where he can sit in there in a congested pocket, keep his eyes down the field, and not blink. And I think you're seeing the effects of that. They're getting around him. They're getting him off the spot. He is a, a pocket-rhythm-type passer, and right now they're not playing as well up front. they, they got to get back to you know, they're, they're just, you just look at what they, what's happened to them the last three weeks. Tennessee got after him. The 49ers got after him. And, and the Green Bay Packers got after him. They have not stepped up and matched a physical style of play. And that's what teams are doing right now to the Rams. They're really, I think, challenging them and really, really winning and controlling the game at the line of scrimmage. You know, so much of the conversation is about the health of quarterbacks, who's going to be up. And I have a, a half-baked idea that I want to run by you because we're in an era where quarterbacks are throwing so often from such a young age, which means huge stats, and we love it in fantasy. It also means you get hit more than maybe quarterbacks did coming up, you know, before your time. Do you think that's part of the reason why we're seeing so many QBs struggle to, to stay healthy in what's now going to be a longer season? I think, you know, it's part of the challenge for these quarterbacks. I said your, your, your goal was to play 17 games. That, that tells me two things. One, you're playing at a high enough level, a consistent level, and the team around you is, has been successful. And secondly, you know, you're staying healthy. And it's not an easy, easy deal to line up and play every snap uh, all season long. You look at the great ones, uh, guys like Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees and, and Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, they, they've done it for years. So the younger quarterbacks have to learn to throw the football away. They have to learn to protect themselves. They have to learn not to take the unnecessary hits. Protect your head, protect your shoulder, protect your knees. Keep those big guys off you. And I think you know some of these quarterbacks, Donovan, they hold the ball too long. They're, they're sitting back there in the pocket. They're taking two or three hitches. They're patting the football. You don't have time against a defense like the Baltimore Ravens. The ball has to come out on time. I just think right now some of these quarterbacks are taking some unnecessary hits. You look at Baker Mayfield, he's, he's beat up right now. He's got the left shoulder injury. He's got a foot injury. He's got an ankle. He's, he's just not healthy right now, and it's affecting his performance. The way the Browns get this thing turned around is you feature Nick Chubb, you feature Kareem Hunt, you run the football, you play great defense like you did last night, and that helps this quarterback. You know, Baker Mayfield is not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He's never going to be those guys. He can be a winning quarterback if you're playing well enough around him and you're running the football. Right now, their struggles running the football are having a huge impact on Mayfield's consistency and production. AFC North always a division of intrigue. And when you look at the other game that we saw, another banged-up quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, looked a shell of his former Pro Bowl South. To me, it was a real changing of the guard of the Bengals doing to Steelers what used to happen to them. Is that fair to say? Is, is Big Ben done and maybe we should be looking at Cincinnati as a championship-level team? I think two things come out of this game, Donovan. I think first and foremost, this isn't your, your normal Cincinnati Bengals. This is a different football team with Joe, Mur or Joe Burrow. You look at how Joe Mixon ran the ball yesterday. 165 yards, that's the most all-time uh, for the Bengals running back against a Steeler defense. Uh, their defense played well yesterday. So I think you, you look at two teams, in my opinion, that come out of that division to make the postseason. It's Cincinnati and Baltimore. The Pittsburgh Steelers at 5-5-1 five, five, and one are unrecognizable. This isn't the same Pittsburgh team. This may be the first season of Mike Tomlin's uh, career as a head coach that they have a losing season. They're not playing well on defense. The quarterback is an aging player with the diminished skills. 
and they've, they've been reluctant to hand the football off to Najee Harris. The Pittsburgh Steelers have some problems that I don't think they can get corrected in the next six weeks. What is remarkable is when we talked to you at this time last year, Pittsburgh had the longest unbeaten streak in the league, and now they look like they're going to struggle to make the playoffs. Thank you so much, Rich, for breaking it down with us once again. You're the best. Thanks, brother. The NFL is just bananas. Like, from week to week, month to month, if you lasted this long in a survivor pool, God bless you. Because I don't know how you can have any idea of what's going on in that league. What are people thinking? What's going on on social? Uh, well, can I, can I tell you first, um, you, you understand that nothing, that the NFL makes no sense <laughs> when Tim and I go 0-4. And that's what happened. Look, you got to call a spade a spade. It's not, I don't want to just brush it under the rug, but uh, i got to say big it. Event. It happened. It was we went, big yeah, event. we went 0-4 this week. It just proves that the NFL's a mess. Small sample. No one has any, any clue what's going on in the league. So, yes, uh, that's a very good point that you make. Um, Big things are happening on the socials uh, because Nikola Jokic, according to Shams, will return to the lineup for the Denver Nuggets against the Miami Heat. Jokic missed four games due to a wrist sprain, and you know what that means, baby? Get your popcorn ready. That's how he sprained his wrist. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, So I'm assuming the Jokic brothers are going to be in attendance. That was my next question. Udonis has them already said. It's, it's my city. Don't come in disrespecting my city. Wow, three Things are going to happen. Start throwing, you know, the trash talks already started before this much anticipated rematch. Uh, so I don't know which direction to go here. Like maybe Morris Brothers against Jokic Brothers, who you like? Ooh, I like or that. Uh, are you actually anticipating anything to come from what we saw last time when these two teams met? No. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. No. I'm it's not. like the Isaiah Stewart LeBron thing. They played last night, nothing happened. Like the got, biggest it, thing was like LeBron hit a three in front of the bench. And Isaiah Stewart got booed. But yeah. essentially, that was pretty much it. Yeah, nothing happened. So, yeah, n- nothing's going to happen. But I will say that the Jokic brothers being in attendance throws a little bit of a wrinkle. Because you don't know what those two guys are going to do. Storm in the court? They're a bit, well, they're wild cards, those two. So we'll have to wait and find out, but it should be fun to watch, no doubt. Can't wait. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, the rest of the show. I promise, will be fun to watch. Uh, the Canadians are looking for a new GM after firing Mark Bergevin on Sunday. We'll look back on his entire tenure and look forward to what's next in Montreal. As Eric Engels, the reason you should watch, is going to join us live from the rink ahead of the Canucks and Habs. That's coming up next on Tim and Friends. Welcome back. Rogers Hometown Hockey coming your way from beautiful Grimsby, Ontario, following us at 7 p.m. Eastern. Ron and Tara will be joined by Kevin Bieksa and his dad, Papa Bieksa, plus plenty more as they get you set for the Canucks and Canadians, who you can see across this beautiful country on Sportsnet. Now with Jeff Gordon in as Executive VP of Hockey Ops, the search for a new GM is on. Uh, with Gordon and Habs owner Jeff Molson met the media today and explained why he wants a dual role. Having two people do this um, uh, with the expertise that Jeff brings and hopefully the expertise that the new person, the new uh, general manager brings, uh, is just going to make us better and uh, make us make better decisions, whether it's drafting a top 10 pick if we ever get one or uh, developing players or including diversity into our organization what, what, or the medical performance team or other. Um, I, I, I truly believe that uh, uh, it's important to have in this market, living in this market, uh, two people at the head.
Okay. Uh, it is important to have on this show Eric Engels. So he joins us right now. And I may have missed something, but what I just heard was uh, it's important uh, in this market to have Jeff Gordon because he has great connections across the league and thus we're giving him a nice title for his business card, but he's the de facto GM. But because we're in this market, we need a GM that is bilingual, so we're going to hire someone else to work under him. Am I missing something? Not really. I think that's the way you have to interpret it, right? When you have somebody of Jeff Gordon's experience and you have the opportunity to hire that person, you make that decision as you're going to make sweeping change across your organization. He's got the connections. I spoke to Glenn Sather uh, yesterday in preparing my piece to explain the move that led to Mark Bergevin's removal as general manager and executive VP of hockey operations for the Montreal Canadiens. And, you know, Sather was talking about the relationships that Gordon has forged around the league over a very long resume of being an executive in this league. That's a valuable thing to have because when you look at the bilingual quotient and why it's important and how it's important, I should say, to the GM role, you know, he obviously doesn't fill it. And the candidates that you look at that might are guys that don't have experience being general managers in the NHL. I should say that doesn't mean that they're not going to be good at that job. Mark Bergevin didn't have experience as a GM before taking over. Serge Savard didn't have experience as a GM before taking over. And they're the two longest tenured guys in that position in recent history. So I just think, you know, you have an opportunity to have someone of Gordon's experience and a GM underneath him who can be seasoned and grow and make decisions in concert and fulfill some of the other requirements of the job that Molson was talking about. And I think it's a progressive way of looking at that whole situation that they have and, and moving forward in, in, a, in a smart way. So the fascinating thing for me is you have other franchises in the market, the Alouettes, the Impact, who haven't necessarily had the same hard and fast rule. But I also understand that people who don't live there, don't understand the, the culture and the conversation, might not get it. So explain it to us. If well, I th the franchise ever didn't have a French-speaking GM, what would happen in the province? How would people respond? Look, this is, you know, I, I understand this issue, and I, I think Jeff Molson did a pretty good job explaining it himself when he was asked about it, but, you know, I'm born and raised in Quebec. I'm bilingual. I speak French and English. In Montreal, there's probably closer to a 50-50 split of French and English, but outside of this region where the majority of Quebecers live, the, the scale tilts significantly towards French and very little English. And the Montreal Canadiens do not want to offend a significant portion of their fan base and the people that are charged with supporting the franchise and paying for the product by having someone who's as public-facing as the general manager. And Mark Bergevin mused in his exit note that he left on the Canadian's website that he gets more attention than the Premier of Quebec in that role, uh, or did. And, and you know, the, the people deserve to have somebody in that role who speaks their language and can communicate directly with them. And as a media member, we are the conduit between the fans and management and the coaching staff and anybody who gets in front of a camera. And I do think it is an important requirement. It's not the only requirement of being a good general manager and being one in this marketplace, but it is one that they are not willing to do away with. So I think it was a very smart move for Jeff Molson to hire someone like Jeff Gordon who has that type of experience and can even do that work in the shadows. That'll be beneficial to Jeff Gordon as well. And bring in someone who fits that requirement but also has promise as an experienced hockey executive and can move forward and, and you know fulfill more of the mandate that a GM normally would as the years go along because we know that Jeff Gordon's here long term and that 
whoever comes in is going to be given more than a year on the job, I would think. So who are some of those candidates to make sure that the eight and a half million or so in Quebec yeah. love uh, who's in the role? You know, you mentioned uh, Daniel Briere earlier. Obviously, you could go to the team that they lost to uh, in, in the Stanley Cup Finals in Tampa Bay Lightning and steal some of their front office talent. What are some of the names that you're hearing that you expect to be in this conversation? Well, I'll circle back on Daniel Breer because I think he's he's honestly very high up on the list as I reported earlier today. But, you know, you've got Matthew Darsh that you were just referring to with the Tampa Bay Lightning, a guy who was just involved in the Stanley Cup uh, win, as you said, and uh, a guy that is well-educated and then has some business experience as well, working with Delmar here in Montreal for uh, a freight forwarding company for, for a number of years, uh, post-playing career, obviously a McGill grad, and a very well-liked, versatile guy who could fulfill some of that mandate that is important in public facing. Um, you've got a guy like Martin Madden Jr. in Anaheim whose name keeps coming up because of the elite job that he's done finding talent and having it graduate to the NHL and play over 100 games there. You know, he, he is a better track record in that regard than virtually anybody doing that amateur side of the job in the NHL over the last decade or so. Um, you can look at Patrick Waugh, who obviously would ignite a lot of entertainment value, <laughs> I would suggest. Um, but also, I, I think, you know, that's a real long shot here with Jeff Gordon assuming the position that he had. I, I don't believe necessarily that Patrick Waugh would be willing to come in, become GM, and not have full authority to make all the decisions essentially on his own. I, I, I find it hard to believe that there would be the synergy you kind of need. There's other names, Roberto Luongo is another one, but that synergy that I'm talking about, it's a big part of the reason why I think Daniel Briere is a fit here. Uh, I, I see a guy who's a real team guy, a very kind but smart, educated guy who took the long road and going to become a GM at the ECHL level and going to Wharton Business School to bone up on his business abilities and his skills. and learn the business and that is what he's been doing you know he was asked a few years ago if he was willing to take on a role as gm of the philadelphia flyers and said i, I don't think i'm ready for that i need the seasoning and i think right now this is an opportunity that he would jump at and i think the canadians hold him in high regard and they should you know you ask around the hockey world daniel briere is a very well liked and uh, well respected individual and to have the ability to grow in this type of position and be in this type of position is something that I think he'd be very excited about, but they might be very well served. And Jeff Gordon specifically, who has done some work with him with the Maine Mariners as part of the New York Rangers organization a few years back. So before we totally turn the page moving forward, let's look back a little bit and Mark Bergevin's legacy. And he said, you mentioned that statement, he's leaving the franchise in a better spot than he got it. They have the worst record to start a season in the history of the franchise, but they were just on the doorstep of winning a cup. What is his legacy? Is that statement true? And does he deserve to be let go at this point? Well, listen, that statement's a hard one to dissect in the time that we have. I, I think <laughs> at the end of the day, the, the record speaks for itself, but we all agree. You know, Jeff Molson agrees, and Mark Bergevin said himself that this team is way better than their record would indicate. I believe that to be the case, too. And when you take Carey Price and Shea Weber and Joel Edmondson and Paul Byron and uh, go down the list of guys that the Canadians have been missing and remove them for essentially the whole season, you're going to have a hard time. I thought they would be at least competitive to be uh, enough to be around 500 until Price could return. Uh, maybe they'd be a bit below, maybe they'd be a bit above or right at it. Uh, the fact that they've gotten off to this start at 15-5 and 2 or 3 or whatever it is now, uh, uh, sorry, reverse that order. 
six, six 15, 15 and, and two. two. Yeah, a lot of losses. Yeah. If it was 15, five and two, uh, Mark Bergman would still be here. <laughs> yes. um, you know, you look at his legacy, he's a guy that I think he's kind of right in the middle, right? Like he's done, he did a lot of great things and he did some not so great things. He made a lot of decisions that worked out very well for the organization. He made some that didn't. And the one market trade I would say, and I, my colleague Arpin Basu from The Athletic wrote about this is, you know, that the there was never really a cohesive thing where it all came together and, and produced the result that he was aiming for the whole way, as he said, which was winning the Stanley Cup. He came close last year. He built a team that was built for the playoffs and they were full value in getting to where they got to. But you know, I still think they have a number of good pieces to move forward with, but they need some more talent coming through the draft and being developed by the organization for them to take the next step. And I think they didn't ask to be in the position they're in right now, and it's definitely not a better one than, than you know, as, as Bergeme put it, but they can take advantage of this position and end up rebounding pretty quickly. Okay, let's end on a positive note. Give Habs fans some good vibes going into the game. Kerry Price, back on the ice, scenes of him skating. What's the latest in terms of what his return looks like? Well, look, I, I know that's a positive for everybody, but after the uh, season in, I guess it was 2016, I don't know, it's all blending together, where we kept hearing Kerry Price was coming back and we'd see him you know, skating around and, and it never ended up happening and he missed all but 12 or 15 games. Like, I'd be good with never seeing Kerry Price in a tracksuit on the ice <laughs> ever again. Like. Next time you see Carey Price on the ice, I'd like it to be in his goaltending equipment if I'm a Montreal Canadiens fan. It tells you that obviously he's getting closer and further along on his path, but not close enough that he's anywhere near returning to play. So we'll see where it goes. Uh, I hope all the best for Carey Price. We know what he's been through over the last year. And I think, you know, the fact that he wants to get back as fast as possible is a really good sign in terms of where he's at mentally. From a physical standpoint, you know, it's going to be up to his body to get him there. No question. Well, the organ sounds outstanding, okay? Like, that's the positive that we'll take uh, into the break. And always a positive when we talk to you. Thanks so much, Eric. My pleasure, guys. There you have it. Eric Engels from Montreal. Time for a break. Uh, but still to come, some youth sports and CFL action. And last call, of course, I'm going to get some Canadian football in. And then we get you to Rogers Hometown Hockey coming up next. Welcome back. Our Monday tip of the cap goes to Jennifer Jones and Brad Gushu. The veteran skips are heading back to the Olympics after winning the Canadian Olympic trials in Saskatoon this weekend. Team Jones won gold for Canada in Sochi in 2014, while Team Gushu took gold in Turin in 2006. Canada, of course, did not win a medal in men's or women's curling in 2018. Looking to change that, though. Um, maybe we should change things up. Maybe we should do some last call right now. Last call, show. yeah. Uh, we unfortunately start last call on a somber note. Sad mm -hmm. news over the weekend. Virgil Abloh, the menswear designer for Louis Vuitton and founder of the fashion label Off-White, died of cancer at the age of 41. Russell Westbrook and LeBron James among the athletes to post tributes to Abloh. So the question for you, DJ, uh, why was Virgil Abloh so influential in the sports world? Yeah, because 
all of, it seems, athletes were willing to collab with him, to, to wear his you know, off-white brand, whether it's clothing or the, the Nike collabs. And he even got into designing kits for, for big-name players. Uh, Marcus Rashford, you know, he designed boots for him. So uh, you can't watch a, a massive soccer test or a match, massive basketball match without seeing someone who's close to Virgil and who's rocking the off-whites. As you know, players are always walking in and we're mm -hmm. filming, and you always saw his stuff. I got a little uh, little Virgil uh, off-white tribute oh. uh, today. So, yeah, uh, rest Very in sharp. peace. Uh, battling cancer silently. Yeah, no one brutal. really knew, and we lost him at 41 way too soon. Yeah, just uh, not just the fashion world in mourning, certainly. For sure. Uh, so rest in peace, of course. Uh, the CFL playoffs got underway on Sunday. Hamilton beat Montreal 23-12 in the East Semi, while the Rough Riders pulled out a thrilling 33-30 overtime win over the Stamps in the West Semifinal. Bo Levi Mitchell is under contract with Calgary for one more season, but he's owed a lot of money, and there's been some speculation that he may not return. Do you think he's played his last game as a Stampeder? Because I know you said uh, before the weekend that the Stamps were maybe a sleeper here. It didn't go the way they saw it going. Uh, is that it? Sadly, I think it might be. Mm. And he's, you know, a CFL player who you think retires with the same jersey, but they've got a great quarterback room. Uh, and they've got, whether it's John Huffnagel or Dave Dickinson, guys who have proven to be able to draft, develop, and bring along quarterbacks. I've been a quarterback factory, so the finances don't make sense in his case. And also, you got to look at BC with Mike Riley. When you pay that QB that much money, you really got to win. So Trevor Harris, no longer in Edmonton. Sadly, we might see the same for Bo in Calgary. I hope it doesn't happen, but mm -hmm. the economics of the sport say it might. When you have a Canadian football insider in studio, you have to take advantage. So we're going to stick with Canadian football. Is it here? Saskatchewan and Western will meet in Saturday's yeah, Vanier Cup after they won their bowl games in very different fashions oh. this weekend. Saskatchewan beat Montreal 14-10 in the UTEC Bowl, while Western beat St. FX 61-6 yeah. in the Mitchell Bowl. No team from the Atlantic Conference has reached the Vanier Cup since 2007, so is it time for U Sports to revamp the playoff format? Uh, being a Mustang and all, could you even uh, sympathize in a 61 to six victory? Listen, uh, I, I'm I'm supposed to be happy that the Mustangs won. That the, uh, yes, that the OUA looked good. Mm -hmm. I, I'm annoyed, angry, distraught. No, it's not time. It's been time. And so, listen, I love our Canadian game at the amateur level, but we're not showing the best product at the most important time when it is nationally televised. So, listen, administrators, uh, ADs, heads of conferences, is this the product that we want to show? This conversation has happened literally for my entire uh, adult life. We know that the four best teams don't end up playing at the end of the year. We know that just a random four-team playoff isn't the best way to find out a champion. And who I really feel bad for is those kids on both sides. The kids on Western's team who dreamed of having a real huge matchup, which was a sleeper. And the kids from St. FX who acquitted themselves well and pushed themselves, but were not in the contest when they got off the bus. So when you see an amazing game like Sask Montreal and think that should be the standard, not the exception, something has to change. And sadly, people are either selfish or they're just out to lunch and it hasn't changed. But not just in football, in amateur sport in our country, we do not put the athletes first. And this is another great example. Bring in the heat. It's just, help me help you. Yeah. Help me help you.
Nobody the, wants to see a 61 to six football game. The third string running back rushed for over 200 yards and three TDs. Yeah. I would have had a good day. You would have? No, yeah. probably not. Uh, it's college football south of the border and some pretty cool scenes at the big house in Ann Arbor, Michigan after Jim Harbaugh and the Wolverines finally beat Ohio State. It was Harbaugh's first win over the Buckeyes since taking over at Michigan in 2015. Some great visuals with fans rushing that. the field after the game. What was the best part for you? Man, listen, you got to remember, this is a group of six-year seniors because of the pandemic who have never been in Ohio State. In their locker room, everything says, what did you do to beat Ohio State today? And the best scene was none of those players, sorry. It was Juwan Howard, mm. guy who was, you know, not the pride of Michigan for a while, on the field, hugging up Jim Harbaugh, showing the love, fired up. He looks like he could have played as a tight end or D-end. That's awesome, seeing the love from program to program, how fired up Juwan was. It's uh, unbelievable to me. I mean, I get it because, the U.S. loves football, but this was all anybody was talking about yeah. in the sports world on Saturday. It was Michigan and Ohio State. It's funny, you go through the comments, like people tweet about different sports, and it's like, Michigan, Ohio State's on. Like, we don't want to hear about anything but that game. So, I mean, rivalry week in college football, and this certainly lived up to the billing with Michigan and Ohio State. Uh, Lionel Messi has been awarded the Ballon d'Or for a record seventh time. Messi beat out Bayern Munich's Robert Lewandowski for the award given annually to the world's best player, although last year the award wasn't handed out due to the pandemic. Makes sense, of course. Did Messi deserve to win this year? I pressed the wrong button. <laughs> <laughs> There's Messi coming down. The price is right. You can spin that. You can spin uh, that. No, oh, you're saying fraud. You're trying to say fraud. Yeah. I thought that was the Messi yeah. sign because it was a goat. Yes. And Messi is the goat, but no, he should not have won this year. Not I know year. Argentina finally got over the hump, but it wasn't because of him. Uh, you know, he he really you know hasn't been in that conversation for a while, and so no, it, it should not be his award this year. Uh, I want to get to one more thing before yeah. we, we get off the air, guys. If you want to take my computer at any time, uh, we tweeted this out. You were. Singing, going to break, whatever. Okay. I know you did that. You did the thing on yeah. breakfast television where you're saying. I did. Uh, so we asked the viewers, uh, retweet for Donovan Bennett to stop singing, like for Donovan Bennett Talk to, me. to sing more. And the results are in. Let me scroll down here. And boom, 49 likes to 11 retweets. The people want you to sing us off the show today. How much time do we have? I don't want them to sing a whole song and put them in that uh, spot. What should I sing? I just, I just have to say, look, you did it once on breakfast television. Obviously, that it was just, it went everywhere. It, it basically went viral. Um, so I don't want to Devil's put any pressure Devil. on you, but I don't know what was it before? It was Janet Jackson before? It was like, is there an X factor in the cards here? Give maybe some, American Idol, Canadian Idol. You make me want to leave the one I'm oh. with and start a new relationship mm. with you. This is what you do. I don't really remember the lyrics of this song. But I played it in high school. Why don't you sing uh, the matchups? No, I'm definitely not singing the, the <laughs> matchups. But Rogers Hometown Hockey with Ron and Tars up next. They will not sing. That's followed by Canucks and Canadians. Thanks for watching.